0: Continuing this morning in our series through 2nd Timothy guarding the gospel and we come to 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verses 10 to 17 it can be found on page 996 in your pew Bible so please turn with me to 2nd Timothy chapter 3 verses 10 to 17. Hear now the eternal living word of God. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so, one of the things I think about that has been lost in our modern society with GPS is the ability to read a map and chart out directions to a specific destination. Some of you may remember for a long trip, you had to plan out in advance what route you were going to take, what exits you had to get off at. You had to bring the map along with you, so that way you could check to make sure you were on the right path or taking the right route. Nowadays, you just put your address in your phone and you go. And so now it's very easy to know whether or not you're on the right path. You can even have all kinds of famous voices telling you where to go. But it wasn't always that easy to know if you were going in the right direction, heading on the right path. In our study through 2 Timothy, Paul has been commanding and encouraging Timothy to continue forward in the task of guarding the gospel. Timothy has to be willing to suffer for the gospel. He has to be willing to communicate the whole truth Of the gospel raise up the next generation of godly men to teach the gospel and he needs to remember this gospel in his heart the faithfulness of God all for his task of enduring in the gospel and so we've also seen as the church how we have a role in this we're also called to this task of continuing the work of guarding the gospel then in chapter 2 Paul switched his focus to false teachers that were influencing the church. And he called Timothy to distinguish himself from these false teachers, not only in teaching the truth of the gospel, but in his lifestyle. The false teachers were living this unbelievably sinful lifestyle, but Timothy, and really all of us, are to pursue godliness and flee from sinfulness. Now, in today's passage, Paul continues to contrast Timothy with the false teachers. And in his telling Timothy to continue on the path of godliness, contrary to the wrong path of the false teachers, Paul gives us three ways that you can know you're on the right path or on the path of godly living. First is you're following godly examples. Second is you're facing persecution and the third is you're continuing in the Word of God. So chapter 3 in this letter, our sermon from last week, begins with Paul explaining the central sinful attributes of the false teachers. He gives an example of their ministry and their disciples. And then he gives an illustration that points out that the false teachers who oppose Timothy and Paul's teaching are opposing God, and they won't get very far. And now Paul begins this by contrasting Timothy with those false teachers. The false teachers are living sinfully and their bad fruit will be exposed. But then Paul says to Timothy, starting in verse 10, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. The false teachers not only rejected Paul's teachings, and they were not only teaching this false distorted version of the gospel, but they also rejected Paul's lifestyle that comes with the gospel. But Timothy has followed Paul, and Paul lists all the things in his life that Timothy has followed. And so the first way to know that you're on the path of godly living is to do what Timothy did with Paul. He followed him. You know you're on the path of godliness by following the godly examples in your life. Timothy followed everything about Paul. He was with Paul through the thick and thin of his ministry. Their relationship began with Timothy's conversion as a teenager in Paul's first missionary journey. And Paul most likely had an active role in Timothy's conversion. Then Paul became his mentor. Timothy went with him on a second missionary journey and watched him build the foundation of the church. Timothy planted churches with Paul. He watched Paul get arrested, stoned, and rejected. He saw Paul's relentless faithfulness in the face of this persecution. And Paul's saying, although the false teachers are running rampant, You have followed me. Timothy followed first Paul's lifestyle. He says his teaching, his conduct, his aim in life. And so it's important to have these godly examples, mentors in your life to follow. Just like Timothy also had false teachers, there will be bad examples of what not to do in our lives. But Timothy chose to follow Paul. And he knew firsthand that Paul's life matched his doctrine. And this is the kind of person you should follow in your life. It should be someone who not only believes the truth of the gospel, but also their life reflects it. By having a godly example in your life, that you can follow their teaching, their conduct, their aim in life is a way to know that you are on the path of godliness. In addition to following Paul's lifestyle, Paul says Timothy followed his faith, his patience, his love. His steadfastness. And so now Paul writing this near the end of his life is recalling the Christian virtues that he's lived out. And these virtues are what Timothy has followed. When you think of a godly person that you're following, you should consider what are their virtues? What are the things in their life that make them this way? Now, no one perfectly exhibits faith, patience, love, steadfastness in his life. No one flawlessly lives out the fruit of the Spirit. But we should be growing in these things over time. And this is what the Christian maturing process is. So a godly example in your life to follow is someone who is a mature Christian. Someone who has grown over time in these things. In their faith, patience, love, steadfastness. And the picture of discipleship in the Bible is to imitate the godly people in your life. We see this, it it, it comes early with the mentorship of Moses and Joshua. Uh, Joshua was with Moses throughout his ministry, and then he imitated him and followed him. Uh, Paul is saying this is what Timothy is to do. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul wrote, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so this is what it means to follow godly examples in your life. Imitate the people who are making an effort to imitate Christ in their life. This is part of the pursuit of godliness. The list of things that Timothy followed in Paul's life ends in verse 11. He writes, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. So Timothy was with Paul when he persecuted and suffered. And, And Paul lists three Galatian cities here. Now Timothy himself was a citizen of Lystra. So he was an eyewitness to what happened to Paul there. In Lystra, Paul, the apostle, was stoned by an angry mob, and then he was dragged out of the city, and then he was left there for dead. But Paul says, yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. So here Paul is alluding to the words of David in Psalm 34, where in verse 15 David writes, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Paul faced significant persecution throughout his ministry. But just like David, the Lord delivered him. For Paul, his suffering for the gospel, that is his present suffering in prison and his suffering in the past, confirms rather than denies his calling by God. Paul is an honorable vessel set apart by God for his service. And so suffering comes, but God rescues. Because those who are suffering are God's righteous, God's chosen people, and God has vowed to rescue them completely. When Paul was facing persecution in Antioch, he shook the dust off his feet in protest and moved on. When facing persecution in Iconium, Paul found out that there was a plot out to get him, and so he moved on to a nearby city. And when he was left for dead at Lystra, Paul got up and continued his mission the next day. Then Paul actually returned to that area in Galatia, and he was speaking to the converts there at the end of Acts chapter 14. And he encouraged them to stay strong in their faith by saying that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And if Timothy continues to follow the godly example of Paul, he will follow the path of persecution as well. Now Paul says this actually about every Christian in verse 12. He wrote, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And that gives us our second way to know that you're on the path of godliness, because you're facing persecution. Paul's point is, if you're pursuing godliness in your life, if you're living out your faith in Jesus Christ openly, there will be persecution. Now, persecution of Christians takes many forms in this world we usually first think of the severe persecution that leads to arrest and martyrdom. And Paul was a man that knew of this level of persecution himself. He wrote this letter while languishing in a prison dungeon in Rome, awaiting his own execution as a martyr. All of the earthly disciples, early disciples and and apostles faced persecution, and many of them were martyred. And this type of severe persecution continued Throughout the history of the church, and it's actually still common today in many parts of the world. Christians all over the world face the f- constant threat of imprisonment and death. North Korea, Afghanistan, Yemen, China, Ni- Nigeria, just to name a few. Simply owning a Bible or being known as a Christian could put your life in danger. A few years ago, I, I heard a missionary to China speak, and she mentioned that she had been there for 11 years. And she talked about the changes that have been happening there over that time and that the Chinese government is quickly becoming an Orwellian big brother. And they installed 2.9 billion cameras throughout the country. And they're watching people's every move. And with it, they're increasing the crackdown on religious activity. It's illegal for a person in China to bring their own child to a worship service. And so she said one Chinese father stated to her, I'm ready to go to prison for this. And so many places have this persecution means imprisonment and death. And so Paul knew this, but when he wrote this statement, he also knew that God's deliverance for some comes in the form of physical death because in that moment, they are rescued into glory. But that's not the way it is currently for us in the United States, at least not yet. But we do have persecution here. We live in a culture that's increasingly hostile towards Christians and Christianity in general. John Stott once wrote that persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. At many places around our country, outspoken Christians are regularly demeaned, degraded, and targeted for their beliefs because their value system of the culture at large clashes with our Christian value system. And we see this clash all over the world between the people who love God and Jesus Christ and those who don't. There's persecutions of Christians on college campuses. If you go to a college campus and you tell them you're a Christian, you'll immediately be ridiculed and called a bigot and hateful. We see this in politics, in the way Christian politicians or judges are questioned when they're confirmed. We see it in lawsuits, businesses for holding to traditional Christian values. And there's a constant push to remove all traces of God from government and schools for years. We see in the public schools, student groups like Inner Varsity have been kicked out of schools. Teachers have been suspended for giving a student a Bible. Coaches have been put on leave for praying and so on. And you may even have persecution in your personal life, losing friends or family or just not being able to be as close to them and relate to them and many other things that happen. Because of faith in Jesus Christ. But Paul is saying this comes with the territory. This comes with pursuing a godly life in Jesus Christ. As he said, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. But there's an amazing thing that happens through the persecution of God's people. That God does through his persecution. He purifies his church. In the places and times where persecution is the greatest, the false teachers and the hypocrites seem to disappear. There's a scholar and an author named Jean Edward Vieth that wrote, One of the greatest paradoxes in Christian history is that the church is most pure in times of cultural hostility. When things are easy and good, that is when the church most often goes astray. When Christianity seems identical with the culture, And even when the church seems to be enjoying its greatest earthly success, then it is its weakest. Conversely, when the church encounters hardship, persecution, and suffering, then it is closest to its crucified Lord. Then there are fewer hypocrites and nominal believers among its members, and then the faith of Christians burns most intensely. So we're not to lose heart at the increasing hostility and persecution of Christians around us. Don't be discouraged that persecution is inevitable for those who live out their faith in Christ. God will use the persecutions even of his people to increase our faith, to grow his kingdom. No matter what happens, things always end well for believers in Jesus Christ from an eternal perspective. So Paul then contrasts the, the... between the godly and the sinful false teachers. Everyone who desires a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But then in verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So while those pursuing a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, the sinfulness of the false teachers will accelerate. They'll become increasingly sinful. They'll continue to deceive others and continue to be deceived themselves. You know, false teachers, or heretics, and their followers are deceived in many ways, both by believing what is false and refusing to believe what is true. And Paul's encouraging Timothy and all of us, even in the face of difficult times and persecutions, while the openly sinful may be, seem to be flourishing, we can take heart. Then he gives Timothy another contrast that should be in his life compared to the path of these false teachers. Starting in verse 14, he writes, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the scripture, sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So for Timothy to continue on the path of godliness, he needs to continue in the gospel that he has learned and that he has firmly believed, knowing that he has learned it from the apostle Paul himself. And Timothy needs to continue in this true gospel, not the heresy that is being spread by these false teachers. But uh, he also needs to continue with the scriptures that has been, he has been acquainted with from childhood. In chapter 1 of the letter that Paul says that Timothy inherited his faith from his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And they raised him up in the scriptures. And Timothy is to continue to submerge himself in the sacred writings. And this gives us our third way to know that you're on the path of godliness. By continuing in the word of God. Paul lays out a few important, even fundamental principles of scripture here. At the end of verse 15, he says that the scriptures are able to make lives for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. This is one of the main features of the Bible, that it leads us to salvation. That is, the things necessary for salvation are written to us in the Bible. Making the Bible essentially a handbook on salvation. The Bible contains the way to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And since the Bible tells us of salvation, and salvation is only found in Jesus, the whole Bible tells us about him. Even the Old Testament, which is what Timothy would have studied from childhood, points us to salvation in Jesus Christ. The Old Testament anticipates Jesus. The New Testament reveals and explains him. And Paul then continues in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And Paul now gives us the ultimate source of Scripture, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. This is literally translated as God breathed. He's telling us that all scripture is inspired by God. God is the divine author of scriptures who inspired the human authors to write down his word. And this is why we claim that the whole Bible is the word of God, because the Bible itself claims that it is the word of God. God, the Holy Spirit, brought the scriptures into existence by inspiring human authors to write it down. Now, the human authors weren't merely passive or mechanical in this process. The Holy Spirit inspired them, and they wrote it in their own style and with their own personality. But ultimately, the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible originated in God's mind and is communicated by the breath of God. And this means you can't pick and choose what parts of the Bible to trust in. It means you can't handpick what commands to follow or what doctrines to believe. Like many false teachers and heretics often do, and they always have. Today we have so-called liberal theologians, seminary professors, and graduates and pastors of churches that stand in the pulpit who can't affirm a virgin birth of Jesus Christ. They can't affirm a physical resurrection of Jesus. And you could never come to that conclusion if you believe what Paul just wrote, that all scripture is breathed out by God. Peter wrote something similar in 2 Peter chapter 1. He said, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. If you truly believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that is the whole Bible, all Scripture, then you will believe everything it says. Now, we may disagree on exactly what it says, but every Christian should agree that the Bible is the word of God. And therefore, the Bible has the authority of God himself. But Paul doesn't stop there in his explanation of the scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So the value of Scripture actually goes beyond salvation. Another principle we see about the Word of God is that it is profitable. That is for sanctification as well. All Scripture is the Word of God. Therefore, all Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. This is why I preach through whole books of the Bible. There's no need to skip around to get to the good stuff. All Scripture is is profitable. The Westminster Confession of Faith puts it, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture. The Bible is the primary way for you to pursue godliness in your life. By hearing the word of God preached, by attending Bible studies if you can, by reading it on your own, by praying through the scripture in your devotional time. The path to godliness is laid out in the scripture. So you know that you're on the path because you're studying, reading, praying, and listening to the word of God. There are Christians around the world who risk their lives just to go to a Bible study or get their hands on a Bible And you should have that tenacity in your own life for the Word of God. And the end result of all of this, the end result of someone who has read, studied, and lived their life according to the Word of God, it says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That is, the servant of God may be complete and equipped. The way the Greek is written, it actually uh, relays this idea of thoroughly equipped, super equipped. That is, every believer is thoroughly equipped for the work of God's kingdom by the word of God. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about God using honorable vessels for his work. That means those who pursue godliness in their lives and flee sinfulness are useful tools in the hand of God. And one of the ways God uses to sanctify his people is his word. The outcome of a life that has not only been informed by the word, but transformed By the word of God as a person who is useful in the hands of God. A person who will rise to whatever challenges and persecutions come their way. A person who is thoroughly equipped for the work God has planned for them. And we see this example in Jesus himself. Jesus frequently quoted the scriptures as divine and authoritative throughout his ministry. If you think when he was tempted by Satan in the desert. Jesus rebutted all three of Satan's attacks by quoting Scripture. And so this charge to Timothy is a charge to every Christian to continue learning, trusting, and believing in the Bible because it contains the very words of God himself and therefore is sufficient for all things necessary for God's glory, for salvation, for faith, and for your life. And so not only should you know what the Word of God says, but the Word of God should be changing you, making you holier, conforming you into the image of Christ, completing you, and thoroughly equipping you for every good work. And so you can know that you're on the right path, the path of godliness, because you're following godly examples in your life, you're facing persecution for it, and you're continuing in the Word of God. And in the Word of God, we have the ultimate Example of godliness to follow. The scripture is valuable in the pursuit of godliness because the scripture reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ to us. Every one of us falls short of the glory of God. None of us are righteous by the perfect, holy standard of God. And you really find out how sinful you are when you start pursuing godliness, when you start trying to flee sinfulness. People who reject the idea of having a sinful nature. Probably have never tried to live a perfectly obedient life to the commands of God. You can't do it. No one can. But Jesus came to do it for you. Jesus is not only the perfect example of godliness, but He died on the cross as the punishment for your ungodliness. And He gives you His perfect righteous record. Therefore, Jesus is our Savior and He is also our model to follow. Our goal in life is to be more like Jesus Christ. But Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. He doesn't leave us to ourselves to do this. He sends us the Holy Spirit to help us in our path of godliness. So in Jesus, we are forgiven for our ungodliness. We are given His righteousness before God. And we are given the goal of our godliness in Him. And we are given the means to accomplish that goal by him. And so continue on the path of one who is called to godly living by following the godly examples in your life, by facing persecution as it comes, and by continuing in the word of God so that you may be equipped, uh, complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning knowing that although we are often inadequate you have chosen us to be your righteous we know that you have laid out the path before us in scriptures and in the life and work of your son lord we we pray that you will strengthen us for this journey that we will you will put in our lives godly people that we may follow that you will strengthen us through the persecutions that will come and that you will, through your word, transform us into the image of your Son that we may be, stay focused on your call, on your kingdom, and on your glory in our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.